Wage the Beautiful War. I got that from Pastor Jonathan Fisk. I highly recommend his his podcast, by the way. It's uh, Mad Christian, and uh, he's got a lot of good, great, great stuff on there. But this one in particular, this one idea, is something I've been thinking about quite a bit over the past few, well, at this point, weeks. Um, wage the beautiful war. Wage the beautiful war. What is it? What is it? What is the context there that makes it more appealing than fight the good fight? Right? This is from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What, what is the difference between saying that, fight the good fight of faith, or wage the beautiful war of faith? It's, it's the scope in my mind, right? The fight, fight seems like it's a lot more condensed and personal. It's a little bit more of a, of a singular event, and it's less powerful, right? The good fight, fight the good fight, versus the idea of the faith that we are delivering, right? The faith that we are, we are preaching that was delivered once for all, um, through Christ, that, that this, this is a war of, of eternal scope, of, of universal significance. And to a great extent, we're, we are, we're not even fighting the, the great war. We are, we are simply carrying the news of its end to those who fight it still you know that the the, the 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 great war is over but people are still fighting it and so we we continue to wage these i guess proxy battles with uh, people around us there's a lot of this this fight metaphor in the in the scriptures not not just fighting but also contention right struggle challenge. There's a lot of sports metaphors. Paul loves his sports metaphors, and, and I can't blame him because they're great metaphors. You know, run the race with endurance. You know, he who runs doesn't run to lose. You, know, you, you run to win. So, so fight, run to win the race. Um, and you know, just this past week, we had the, um, the text of Jacob, right? The heel grabber with whom God wrestles. And who he eventually, you know, puts into submission to where he is. He's utterly broken. And God does that. Um, there's the, the Old Testament stories of um, men like Moses who were in charge of armies. Right? Gideon, the, the man who God fought for there. Who, who tried to do things by his own cleverness, but ultimately... God was fighting for them. Uh, all he had to do was show up, and, and they would have won. Um, and and he, he, was, he wanted to make it his own thing, but God was fighting. Uh, David, the great general, right? There's a big hubbub going on right now about Bathsheba. Why? Because in the times when kings went out to war, he didn't, right? So, so David is chastised to, uh, to a certain degree because he doesn't fight. And yet... This idea of fighting seems to be frowned upon by our culture, 
I I have found this more and more um, as I as I I guess get older, but also as you know, having come over from the West Coast. Um, not that the West Coast advocates fighting, but there's a certain understanding that people are going to fight. You know, it's going to happen. People are going to disagree. Um, and you might get a little spat. You know, that's not the end of the world. Not that the cultural difference is that great. But perhaps it was me, you know, having been, um, I was in Portland for uh, a summer. And I got to see some firsthand some of the violence between uh, the group Patriot Prayer and Antifa, Rose City Antifa. Um, it was it was a, it was a fight. I mean, there wasn't wasn't much to it. The fighting was poor quality. I mean, I would have hoped they would have done a little a little better. Clearly, they didn't know what they were doing. They've they've continued to show that they don't know what they're doing because, gosh, the, the you know, looking at it now, even their fighting. Is, is just bad. There was one good moment of fighting, um, and it was, you know, it was lambasted for it, but, um, but is it good fighting? Is fighting okay? Can we, can we advocate that? Well, would I advocate fighting over, you know, political violence? Well, no, no. Ultimately, I'd say that's, that's not a, that's not a good thing. If somebody's interrupting your, your, constitutional right to peaceably assemble by violently attacking you, are you obliged to take matters into your own hands if those in authority who you appointed to keep the peace do not keep the peace? Well, self-defense is a human human right. It's why we have the Second Amendment. So, therefore, there is justifiable violence, right? If you are exercising something that is your right, and someone comes to interrupt that right, you you would have the right to defend yourself. Now, as Christians, should we say, well, that means we should advocate going out and starting fights? No, no. But should we look down on those who act in self-defense or who seek to ensure that the the line never comes that far? Right, to those who hold the line, uh, and this is where this is where questions become a little bit more gray. I think is we we debate where the line needs to be drawn on violence, and 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 therefore because we 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 think about violence and we say well we don't want to be violent, and and we want violence to be a last resort. We treat conflict and fighting. And um, you know, competition to a certain extent, as though it's it's correlated with violence, as though the two are, are are the same idea, and they're not, right? We are called to be at war. We are at war. We're always at war. There's always conflict brewing. And and the issue, one of the issues I think I have with the the passivity that I feel coming from so many people is that it seems to me not to be a passivity rooted in confidence and conviction, in, in, the, in a desire to stand strong in the face of challenges, but a desire 
to not have to face challenges at all. And there's a great distinction there because ultimately, if you're going to make a confession, you're going to have to stand up against someone and say, you are wrong and, and, and in, in matters of faith. And that wrong is, is, has eternal consequences, right? The, the things that you are incorrect about are so wrong that if you fully believe them, if you fully commit to them, you will be damned for all eternity. I mean, that's, that's where the conflict comes up, right? That's, that's when, when we're going out and facing against an, an atheist, right? Uh, it, you know, as Lutherans, if we're going out to get face against a Catholic who honestly believes that the Pope's words trump the Bible, um, if you're going up against an evangelical who, who firmly believes that their own personal vision trumps the Bible, you know, uh, these are, these, we can give them felicitous inconsistencies. And, and that is the, the beauty of the, of the, the, the gospel is that, you know, somebody can, can believe despite um, some teacher's preaching poorly. But ultimately, if we're going to make the declaration that we are the true faith, right, that we, if we want to hold to the faith, right, not just the declaration, if we are to make the case as to why we are preaching the truth in our churches, we have to be willing, we have to be confident to offend. We have to be willing to say, Hey, I I care for you. I truly do. Right? And and since you are someone who is loved by God in that he has created you and and he he has sent his son to die for you and forgive you of all your sins. Since that is true, I am obliged by my calling from him to believe this, to preach it to you as well, right? What greater love is there that we can do for them, right? Because Christ has shown his love in that he laid down his life for us and for them. And so what better good work can we do than preach that? Now, does that mean you should just go out and preach it? No. Does that mean you should just go out and start fights? No, no. It doesn't mean you just go out and start fights. I'm going to, I'm going to, I hate that I have to caveat this all the time, but it's true that that when I, when I start saying certain things people seem to believe, it means I want to go start a fight. It doesn't. It doesn't. You don't have to go start a fight. But when the fight is there, when when the opportunity is there to to enter the ring, should we shy away for fear of 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 the fight? Or should we embrace it? And I would say, let us embrace it. If there's an opportunity to expose a distinction, to show that there's a difference between ourselves and someone else, and that that, and that, that distinction matters, we should go to the floor on it. The sports metaphors are, are, are fantastic in this regard, right? If somebody were to come out in Wisconsin, right, let's say um, Eastern Wisconsin, and say that they're a Vikings fan, they're going to get flack for it. People aren't going to let that, that declaration generally go unchallenged, right? Or if you're a Bears fan, you know, whatever. 
same thing, you know, with, with, you know, I know myself as a, as a Seahawks fan, right? I get flack from Packer fans when I bring it up. Why? Because it's, it's, it's something that they are unafraid to challenge me on. Part of the reason they're unafraid to do that is because they know that that is a safe thing to fight about. They know that just because that happens, it's not going to tear their friendship apart. And so they go to the floor on it. They say, hey, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call you out. Because I know that our friendship is stronger than that, or, or our acquaintance is stronger than a, a football team. Right? That's, it's one of the beauties of football and in sports in general. Is it, it gives people something to fight about, something to disagree about, something to have as a common interface to wage war. Peaceful war, but war nonetheless. This is why sports um, fan bases are going to be male, I think. Right? I argue. No, I don't think. I argue. I don't feel. I argue. I argue that fan bases are male because it's, it, it creates a vent for what men need to do. We need to fight. We need to defend something. We need to, dif- we need to disagree with one another for the sake of understanding where we are at and where other people are. Now, what do I mean by that? That's, that takes an, some explanation. Men, men need to know where they belong. It's one of our, our great angsts. It's one of our great struggles is we need to know where we belong. But that often is going to fall into a hierarchy and because we know that there are people who are better than us at certain things. We know there are people who are worse than us at, at certain things. And, and that spread of your idiots to your geniuses in any field, right? Your, your athletic freaks and your guys who, who couldn't even you know, do a 40-yard dash. You know? That spread is very large across men. And, and that's a good thing, right? I think that the reason God created men to have a wider variance of talents is in order to ensure that a wide variety of needs are accounted for within a community, right? That no matter what, what kind of defense is needed for, this, for the people of a community, there are men who can provide that. There are men who can provide spiritual defense because they are able to study. There are men who are able to create art, which makes a certain emotional defense for something. Um, there are men who are able to make physical defense, right, by being strong against those who would come in and attack them. Um, there are those who are able to make uh, a defense by by tilling the ground, right? God God gave men a variety of talents because in order to cover a wide variety of fields, in order to serve in the widest variety of ways, right, in order to keep society together it, it's important and and I do think that that was part of God's intentional creation of man now women are different women are different women are different women are different and and I don't know how many times I have to say that um, 
but there is a fundamental difference between men and women. And this is one of those ways. Women tend to have a much higher um, average, right? Uh, in, in terms of a Pareto, no, not Pareto distribution, it's the bell curve. Um, Pareto distribution is productivity. Um, but women, more women tend to be average as a percentage of women than men, right? So, right, for example, right, if you say, and this is just fake numbers, right? Like 40% of men are average, right? Then you're going to get like 50% of women are average. Now, that difference might not make a lot. Uh, it might not sound like a lot. But when you get towards the extremes, it matters because it, it means that there are fewer people on those extremes. It's why, it's frankly why the feminist argument about, you know, hey, why are men in these positions of power? Well, why are men also more in prison, right? It, we, have, we have both sides of the spectrum. We have both extremes, the total schmucks and the, the success stories. Men are on both ends of that because we have fewer people who are average. And that gives us a little bit more space to spread out at the bottom. And women aren't, but that's okay. That's okay. Why? Because there is a specific skill set that men do not have that we need women for. And that specific skill set is... You know, it, it, it surprises me how how different it can be between men and women in this regard, you know, in, in how, how children need to be raised. That so many women have those skills just innately. And it just doesn't make sense to so many men how that works or how that could be. Um, men across the spectrum do not have the skill set that women have. Uh, but it doesn't require a lot of distinction because raising a child is very much the same. It is, it is a very difficult and very challenging and very blessed task. But raising, you know, children in different cultures and different environments and different, you know, ages of history is, has, is, is almost always the same. Because children need the same things from when they are very young uh, until they mature. Right. They need the same uh, things taught to them. They need the same support given to them. They need the same approaches taken to them. Uh, human growth does not does not alter over time, over space. And women are uniquely talented in that they are able to handle those needs. And and so you have a lot of women at this you know average who who see each other as very similarly competent you do have right don't don't hear me saying you don't have smarter people than you know the, the women don't have their own distribution oh they do they do and i've seen it i've experienced that firsthand that there are highly highly intelligent women brilliant women and there are some women who are not as as smart right some women are going to be more beautiful and others are going to be more simple um that's okay but that distribution is less than it is with men Right, you're going to get more really good-looking guys and more total schmucks, um, like zeros out of ten with guys. It's it's this is scientifically shown, and I'm simply expressing a Christian reason why that is true. So 
how does that feed into conflict? How does that feed into that? The fact that men are different means that in order to optimize a system, in order to make, in order to make best use of the variety of skills that any group of men has, we need to know who's good at certain things. We need to know who has the skills that are needed for the entire group to become a, a high-quality and very competent unit. We need to know who leads. And the one who leads needs to be the one who's most competent, or else a different group will be more successful. So if we want to, if we want to do our best as a group, we need to create a hierarchy, and we need to compete with one another to know where we fit in this hierarchy. Now, how does sports come into this, right? Sports comes into this in a way that where you don't actually have any stakes. The stakes is a story, right? The stakes of sports are I get to tell a really cool story about the time that my team went to the Super Bowl and they beat the greatest offense of all time, 43 to 8, and we crushed everybody and it was cool. You know, <laughs> tell a better story than that. And there are people who have told that story in fantastic ways. But that's what sports in America and around the world really are. That's what they are. That's what the Olympics are. It's bragging rights. It's bragging rights to tell a story about what you did, what your country did, what your what your clan did, whatever, however you define your clan. Because we don't have clans anymore. We don't have communities we don't have well in america we don't really have any local identity at all the closest we get are probably your college football teams college sports right basketball maybe um but sports teams are the best way for us to to communicate with as men within a common shared space because so much else is different and because we do not feel comfortable sharing on the things that make us different and I think part of the reason that we don't feel comfortable is because we don't it's because we're afraid of the conflict we're afraid of the fallout if we say I disagree and I think you're wrong and I think that that matters and that's a tragedy that is, that, is, that is sad that we've lost the ability, or, or perhaps we never had it, but I don't think that's true. We do not have the ability either way to openly engage in debate and conflict in a friendly, open, amiable way. And to some people, that, that might sound a little strange, right? Amiable conflict, right? But... If you look at um, sparring, but if you ever watch two people spar, that's a friendly. It's a friendly fight. There's you know, ways that even our sports are that right. We 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 become angry in sporting events when somebody doesn't act in a sportsmanlike way, right? If somebody is uh, too much of a braggart, right, or if they get too angry. If they take it too seriously in either direction, 
we get upset because we assume fundamentally that it's all friendly. We're playing off of those assumptions. And so because there's that, that common ground that's assumed of this is all just a game, you're able to take it even more seriously. Because you can always fall back on the, on the unity, on the, on the, hey, hey, chill out. All right, relax, it's not that serious. There's no stakes. But then where do you feel real stakes? Where do you get that? Where do you get that, that feeling of purpose? That feeling of meaning, that feeling of belonging? You, you lose it a little bit the more you dilute the meaning of the conflict, the less that that, that that fight means to you, the less can be learned from it, the less you, you know what matters and what doesn't matter, you, the less you know what hierarchies you belong to, what, what position you are, right? what role to, to, to be in this space. And I think there is a there's a passive fight that does go on in the absence of a of a more open one, where people are still trying to figure this out, and they try to use words and they try to use what they like and what they don't like, right? The, their their hobbies, or their you know the the roles they play in a certain organization, and they try to use that to justify themselves before their peers. You know, as men, we, we, we try to do this by, you know, hey, I make more money, so therefore, there we go. Now I know what, how, how I belong. Or, you know, I have this car, or I'm eco-friendly. But it's all competition. Especially with men. Right? I think women do this a little bit, and they do it differently, and I'll get into that when I understand it. So, you know, we're never going to have a podcast about that. I might, I might interview somebody and see if they, they know. But, but with men, and this is, this is partially, you know, growing up with brothers, I, had, I, I saw this. The ways we compete might not be the same, right? The ways we engage in the fight are going to differ based on our skill sets, and we will learn about one another through that. But we need to engage. We need to engage and I, I firmly believe that what we have fostered in the, in the name of quiet is not peace, but angst. Because, because we need the war. We need the fight. As men, we need the fight to know where we belong, to know what we believe, to know what, what is right. We need to hear somebody come to us and say, Hey, I disagree. And I think part of this is that we know that there's somebody who does. We know that we all do disagree, but we don't talk about it. The best friends that, I've, that I have are the ones who've been willing to fight me, to debate me, to say to my face, you're wrong. And I want to hear why. And I'm going to tell you why. But, but, but defend yourself. And, and I, am, I am so grateful that they were willing to do that for me. And 
yes, there was there was other there was other relationship. That's a weird turn of phrase. There were other features of our relationship that didn't entirely involve those things, right? We had other commonalities that we could fall back on. But those commonalities have truly faded away over time. The the great commonality that we share now, these, these men, my friends, and I, uh, and a couple couple women, but that relationship, those relationships are always different. Um, but the great commonality between my my best male friends and I are, is the fight. We're brothers in arms, and, and, and that's a it is such a a comfort to have those men there for me, because I know I can go to them and say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And they'll be honest. And I think that's the other, the other side of this is in the name of, of keeping everything friendly, we have to hide our true feelings, our true convictions. We can't come out and say, this is what I think. Because we might, well, somebody might disagree. And so we only stick ourselves out um, when we know we're going to be safe when we know that we'll be we'll be supported and otherwise we work in the shadows we we hide we try by manipulation and by 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 devices to to do it rather than rather than being open and clear and so we end up with this fog of war that 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 just conceals the the fighting that we're actually doing and we're actually you know trying to engage and so right we we have an actual fight that's going on but it's hidden and it's it's couched in niceties where we pretend we're not fighting we pretend everything's okay we pretend that there's nothing wrong and then we engage in in subversion right it's it's a very modern way of fighting and the problem with that is it's a very it's a very intelligent way of fighting, right? It's a smart man's or a woman's way of fighting. Is to, you know, don't ever, don't ever engage because you can't win the, the confrontation. But but the thing is we can. And we should have that conviction. Those of us who can win the confrontation directly need to engage. Right? Those of us who have the truth need to ensure that it is proclaimed. Those of us who have what is right should not sit back and rest assuming that everyone else will too. There's a need for open, clear declaration. There's an, a, a need to speak the, tr the, the truth or if you don't know if it is truth, right? What is the, what's the saying? Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Get it out there. Speak your mind. Speak your mind. Let it be heard and let someone correct you. And understand that you need to have certain respect for other people and you need to respect the common ground of, of well, 
truth. And this is the challenge, right, with postmodernisms, but, but it doesn't believe in truth. Postmodernists don't believe in truth. Yes, and this is, where, this is where it gets interesting. I found in my experience a very interesting effect occurs when you tell a postmodernist that they're wrong and there's nothing they can do about it. Because when, when you, you op openly outright say, hey, you're wrong, they, they, they don't like it. And as long as, as long as they can pretend that everything's okay, that everything's fine, you know, there's, we're all, we're all agree, everybody just does their own thing anyway, we're all live and let live, as long as they think that you're okay with them being wrong, they'll, they'll, they'll move on. But the moment you act on it, the moment you act on your convictions, the moment you say, this is what needs to be done because this is true. Well, see, suddenly they have reasons. Suddenly they have a, they have a, a foundation off of which they can act, off of which they, they, they have principles, right? They have reasons, right? Think about abortion, for example, right? When you say, well, abortion is wrong and we need to stop it, we need to end it as a, as a practice in the country. We need to, it is, it is justified to make this thing illegal because life is a human right and the government has been established to protect those rights and for no other reason. Therefore, the fact that it has actively, well, yeah, actively thrown away this duty and is actively supporting its ongoing practice is injustice and that must be stopped. When you start, when you start saying that, now they have to defend themselves. Now they have to say, they have to come up with a reason why you're wrong because they've just found out that your conviction is stronger than their feelings and they have to find some foundation for their conviction or else they lose or else they have no right to stop you they can tell you why they think they need to stop you but then they tie themselves to a a principle right that that feeling is supreme and then they have to defend that. So effectively what I'm saying is if you, if you bring truth into the argument as a point upon which you stand, but you don't do so philosophically, you don't do so in like, well, let's bring in truth as an argument and I'm going to now argue from a position of truth. No, you declare it. Right? The postmodern world is the world of assertion, the will to power, right? The beautiful thing is we can win that that we can win that war because we don't need the will to power we don't need our own our own supreme will to to create the truth because we already have it and so even though our own knowledge is insufficient our convictions can be more firmly founded than anything a postmodernist can come up with on their own and therefore, in a, in a world that challenges us by, by asking, well, who is going to assert their truth the loudest? Who's going to be most convicted of the truth? Well, we can do that because we're not convicted of our own authority. We are convicted by the authority of Scripture. Our faith is founded on Christ. And so... 
they can come at us with whatever they want. And we can step right back at them and say, nope, you're wrong. Doesn't matter what you feel, you're wrong. You can assert however strongly you want, you're wrong. Because Christ is risen. Christ died, Christ is risen, he has ascended, and he is returning. That, that confession is stronger than anything anyone with any will to power could possibly say. So we can win the fight with them. We can engage with them on their terms and still win because the Christian truth is that true. That even in an age of anti-truth, even in an age of anti-truth, those who fight by means of anti-truth cannot overcome it. We just need to stop being afraid of using that weapon. Right? The word of God. When they when they come when they come a rumbling, we can stand strong. And and so should we should we shy away from the fight? Should we shy away from fighting in general? Should we shy away from conflict? Or should we trust that there is a truth, there is an answer, and that if we open the gates on a specific thing, we can come to an answer, come to a conclusion. I think, I argue, that we should welcome the conflict in love. <laughs> what a thought, right? The loving conflict, the, the, the beautiful conflict. One, one that is not characterized by nastiness, hatred, vitriol and anger but one that is characterized by love for one another and a desire a fervent desire for the truth a fervent desire that those who do not know where they belong may learn what is right by observing the fight that those who are entrusted with the truth are, are obliged to bring it forth and are able to bring it forth and let it be seen that those who refuse to believe the truth may be known by their works, by their rejection of the truth openly and outright and by their trust in something other than Christ. Right? This this could apply to even political things, right? So it doesn't have to just be the church, but it could be politics. As Christians, we are we are under the responsibility of of the authorities, right? Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And and yet, we are a representative republic, and our founding documents give that authority to us to appoint people, but also to ensure that they uphold what is right. The combination of the Second Amendment and the Declaration of Independence mean that from a political standpoint, an armed rebellion against the government is justified if the government is not fulfilling its God-given duty as we have described it in those founding documents. It is their right, it is their duty to oppose such governments. 
and and this is this is what's so this is this great struggle i think with america right and it's it's a conflict that's that's within us is is we don't we don't know how that quite works we don't know how to tread that line and it's 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 such a hard line to to tread of saying i don't want to be an oppressor i don't want to say my way or the highway but you know why don't i just let somebody else handle it right i don't i don't get involved in politics i'm sorry that is your god-given responsibility to understand the world in which you live to understand what has been put under your authority and that is the well-being of the entire nation and in america the nation that is the most prosperous in history the greatest empire in history the strongest military and political force that mankind has ever known is in our hands and the hands of everyone else in this country. And we're just going to say, eh, I'll let somebody else take care of it. That's, that's irresponsible. That is a dereliction of duty. That is, that is, an abs- that is a rejection of your vocation as a citizen. And, and the reason we don't want to do that, I think, and this is a think, and I'm not going to argue, I think it's because we're afraid of the, of the conflict that arises when you start talking about political issues. We're afraid because we know there are people who disagree with us, and we don't want to, we don't want to alienate them. Well, have you thought about maybe just engaging lovingly and finding out why they disagree? Have you thought about asking them? Have you thought about bringing up the point to find out if it's actually true what you are presuming that people disagree with you? Have you thought about engaging that person in what they believe to find out why they believe it? Fighting them, so to speak? Why? For the sake of knowing whether it is true or not. I mean, heck, we do it with March for Life. That is the, the great moment of conviction. It's the, it, is, it is a great battle. It is a beautiful battle that we fight where we go every single year to declare, to stand and say, here is where we are. So why can't we, why can't we engage in other things too? Why is this the only one? Right? Why, why can't we even discuss other things around this common unity, this, this solid position that we have as, let's say, pro-life people. Why can't we discuss Second Amendment policy? Why can't we discuss uh, free speech? Right? There's, there's probably easier, easy conversations we can have around those topics. So why don't we talk about them openly? And you could say, well, the other thing, you know, there's two reasons, right? The disagreement one, which I've addressed or, well, we already agree on them. Well, what, what better reason to talk about them then than for education? Because not everyone knows the arguments. Not everyone knows the principles. And yet, everyone in this country has the right and responsibility to make these policies because they have to select the people who do. Therefore, it is the duty of those who are informed to speak up to make sure that people know for the sake of the neighbor, for the sake of good order, for the sake of truth. 
it is the responsibility of those who are educated, for those who know, to share their knowledge and be confronted and be critiqued and be shown to be true or be false. Right? Now I've done this with politics. It, it applies with the church. It applies with, with music. Right? Those who know what good music is need to speak up about it and say that what it is. Those who know what good, you know, what good healthy activities are, are obliged to speak up, right? Now, those vocations are less, less powerful, I would say, right? The vocation of singer is not as universal and strong as the, the vocation of person who decides what occurs over 300 million people that affects a, a, the worldwide economy, right? Th that's a pretty important role, but, you know, Singing is still important, right? The, the, the ones who know the eternal truth of God's you know, vicarious satisfaction for sin and his sending of his son to save mankind um, as a universal truth that is declared to all men. Well, that's, that's, a, that's more important than, you know, whether or not somebody has, you know, the right diet. So it is more important that we talk about the truth than about diets. I'm saying, am I saying that everything needs to be proportional? No. But if we have these vocations, if we have these, these responsibilities, we need to engage even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if it's not a particularly safe thing to do, even if it would create some supposed disunity. Well, you know what? If, if you're seeing disunity, it was already there. It was already there and it was festering. Lies were festering. Untruth was festering. And it needed to be rooted out, dug up, exposed. And what better way to expose it than to get it to come out and attack you? What better way for me to engage with somebody who's wrong than to get them angry at me and get them to tell me why they're mad in an environment where they know I don't mean them any harm. And that's a challenge. I'll give you that. That is a challenging thing to do. But it works. It works. And, and, and I know this from, well, interactions with friends, but first and foremost, family. The beautiful thing about a family, a good, healthy family, is that you can trust your, 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 those in your family to have you to have your back, to support you, to love you. That's a good family. That is a working family. And in that working environment, it's, it's comfortable. It is okay for you to poke at one another, to ask big questions of one another, to make large requests of one another. There's, you, can, you can be forward with your, with your desires. You can be unprotected a little bit. And that's okay. Because you know that there is support there. And in a world where families are broken, where people are coming from, from places where they don't know that, if we can show them that, not by pretending everything's okay, because that's what their families did. Their families pretended it was okay and they didn't have healthy war, healthy conflict. If we can give these people healthy conflict, 
perhaps we can give them an outlet to express what they what they know to be true, what they believe, to to codify the things that they think are are right and wrong. Because they don't know. And if they don't know, we can't help them by showing them where they're wrong. Sometimes the first way to to help them is to to give them something to do. An analogy here would be entering a, a you know engaging in a, in a fight with someone, right? A physical fight. But this person, they don't they have not been trained in any form of of fighting, and so all they know is you know just how to randomly throw themselves at you, right? They're just throwing punches randomly and you know really no order, no structure, right? If you come out immediately and you put them in a headlock, they'll run away. They'll run away terrified that, that you're going to hurt them. If you let them land a few punches first, if you let them come at you and hit you, and then you dodge a punch, right? And then they get cocky, and they know they're getting cocky, and they try and come at you, and then you, you knock them down. And then you reach out your hand, and you pull them back up, and you say, all right, let's try again. And you give them a smile that says, hey, that was fun. Don't you enjoy that, that feeling of knowing where you're at, right? This is the idea of Fight Club, right? This is the idea of Fight Club is, is it was a place for, for these young, wild men to, to learn who they were, to, to find their place, find their, their role in the hierarchy, but also to, to have something to believe in, to know what, what, what to do and what not to do in a world of, of the absence of truth. But the thing is, we don't have to make it a physical thing. Because slowly, as you, as you engage in this fight, right, as you get a little back to, back to the analogy, right, the physical fight, where you're, you're helping him up, you're knocking him down and helping him up, and occasionally, right, you take a, take a few hits yourself, even if, you, even if you could have avoided them, you take a hit. You give them confidence, and you give them the, 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 the assurance that you are not there to flaunt your superior fighting skill, but rather to build them up. And through the hits you take, and you, you, you give them a way of learning their own skill, and you give them a love of engaging. And that engagement is friendship. Right, that, that mutual building up of one another that you're doing with someone who is fighting against you becomes the way in which you come together to seek the truth. And once you've done that enough, they've codified a, a way of fighting. They've codified what they believe. They can't be postmodernist with you. And now if you put them in a headlock, now when you put them in a headlock because you have the truth, well, they have a few options. But, but one of those is to say, I'm sorry, but I didn't realize you were such a hateful bigot and I'm leaving. That's okay. Maybe, maybe that's not the one for you. Maybe it's not your, your job there to bring them around to the truth. Right? That one may sow and another may reap. Right? One may sow, another may till the soil. Another may water the soil and another may reap. But maybe, 
maybe what you've done there is is such that they look at you and they realize, wait a second, you've known what you were doing all along. Why didn't you do this at the start? What is going on here, right? There's a moment in that in that place where you realize, where they realize that you've been doing this out of love for them. And they, they are forced to confront their own belief. And that's, that's okay because that's what we're, that's, that's the only way to, to break through to someone who doesn't believe in anything is to give them something to believe in and give them the, the power, the confidence to question that belief. It is a, it is a hard thing to do. And it's something that we have as a, through the government institutions that raise our children, right? Dereliction of duty again. Um, through the government institutions that we that raise our children, we have not fostered this this confidence to question who we are, because we don't know who we are at all. And if you don't know where you are, questioning that void gets you nowhere. And of course, it gets you nowhere, right? You, you can't swim through jello and you can't swim in space, right? That's probably a better way of putting it, right? If, if, you, if you are nowhere, you can get nowhere without an outside force, right? An object at rest stays at rest is probably a better way of putting it. And, and if you don't know, if you have no, no reference point, if you have no, no anchor, then you, you are either in the right spot and you just accept it or you're not in the right spot and you just accept it because it, the idea of going out and, and challenging that that void is terrifying but if you have if you have an anchor if you have something that you know as okay this is who I am then you can change that then you can evolve then you can you can better yourself once you know where you are but that that self-knowledge requires honesty. That self-knowledge requires awareness. And, and, and questioning it requires conflict within the self. And conflict within the self is harder than conflict outside for a lot of people. I don't know if that's universal, but, but engaging in a tearing down of who you are is it is an awful and terrible thing to do but engaging in opposition to someone else who is in that role who who is opposed to you trying to defend your own position while someone else attacks it you can admit surrender much more easily if you know where you are if you don't have any position, you will never surrender because you will never be supplanted. If you know where you are and you are overcome, you at least have the option to give up. And that's what we that's what we rob of people. When they when we don't when we don't give them something to to defend, and when we don't engage them at all. We rob people of the ability to change because we never force them to define themselves as they are. 
if everyone knew what they believed, perhaps we could live in this this peaceful space, right, where we don't have any conflict because we know where everyone is and we know that they all have valid reasons for it and, you know, everything's fine and there's no changing anything. Even then, I would still, I would still argue for the beauty of argumentation and debate and war in a peaceful sense. But if, but since that's not the case, but since we do not live in this perfect, beautiful, everyone gets along, or even everyone knows where they're at and we just get along because we've, we've run through all the debates, we are not old enough. We are not, we have not interacted with enough people. We haven't talked to enough of our, like, literal physical neighbors to know what they believe and why they believe it to make that assertion over an entire community. So I would argue, therefore, we need to embrace the conflict. Embrace what we are already in and what we have been avoiding for so long. We need to take up the armor that has been given to us as a part of our vocation of, as people who know what is right and wrong, we have a duty to lead, to stand and fight. Because we're not, we're not alone. We're not alone. And our position is strong. And the one who fights for us, right, is who? Israel. God fights. But he does fight. And who does he fight? He fights us first. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of who? Of God, he died for us. We've been at war with God. And he, he ended that. So let's go out onto that battlefield. Let's engage with those who are still fighting on behalf of of the dragon who has been defeated because they haven't heard the news of the victory. And if they come and they attack us, well, what else are they supposed to do? What else are they supposed to do? What else can we expect them to do but attack us back? And, and why don't we help them out a little bit? Why don't we show them what to attack? Why don't we give them a position to assault? Why don't we let them know where they are and what the, the truth is? Engage. And... And if they strike us down, good. If they attack us back, good. If, if we lose a friend, good. Maybe, maybe there's a better way of approaching the next person. Maybe there's a different approach I should take. Maybe I, can, I, should, I should find a way to reconcile with this person so that I know, how, so that I learn how to better approach this in the future, but, but good. And learn from that and move on and continue because it is still our duty. It is still our vocation. It is still our responsibility to wage that beautiful war. <laughs>